0: Pastor Chris has taken us through Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Today we're going to be in chapter 3 if you want to turn there in your Bible or on your phones. And of course the scriptures will be uh, up here on the screen. I love uh, the book of Philippians. If um, uh, I, um, I started to say, I, I was going to say, this is my favorite book. And then I was reading a new different New Testament book and I found out that my favorite book is the one I'm reading has anybody, <laughs> has anybody found that to be true? But there's some amazing uh, scriptures in the Book of Philippians. Some of my life verses or uh, come from Philippians. Philippians chapter one. Where it says, "I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Uh, I really do. When we pray when uh, Pastor Chris and I and we, the leadership, we pray for the church, we thank God for each and every one of you. And he says, "My prayer, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Wouldn't it be a great world if everybody's love would just grow and grow and grow more and more? And then there in verse uh, 21 of chapter one, it says, "For me to live is Christ." and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's kind of what Jason was encouraging us in. And if we could just get that, put Jesus first and everything else pale in comparison. Amen. Uh, Another favorite scripture comes from chapter two, where it says um, that let us not look on our, our own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Again, I think about what an amazing world it would be. If everybody would be more, less concerned about themselves and more concerned about um, other people. Uh, a famous scripture, uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 there, the kenosis when Jesus empties himself and, and um, takes on the form of a servant. Here are parents. Anybody a parent here this morning? Okay, if you're a parent, I'm going to help you out. That my uh, my kids could probably uh, quote this uh, verb; they could quote it from heart. Uh, you know, everybody needs to know this. Uh, needs to know this scripture, In Philippians chapter two, verse fourteen. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Right? How I many? Come on now. I mean, How Isn't that a great scripture? Do all things without grumbling or uh, or complaining. Verse, uh, chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. Of course, the famous scripture there in chapter 4, uh, verse 13, I can, come on, say it together, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? So there's so many, so many f- incredible scriptures throughout this, um, this whole book. Uh, chapter 4 there has one of the greatest sections about giving, and, and I really would uh, say this. Um, our heart, okay, when we talk about giving, is not about what we gain, but the Philippians says it like this. says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I- I'm serious. You cannot outgive God, and I want to see every family, Pastor Chris and I want to see every person blessed, and one of the ways you can assure that your life will be filled with blessings is to be able to pour blessings out and to be a blessing to others. Amen come on, you can do better than that. Amen? Amen. 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 So we want to jump in to um, to Philippians chapter three. And today I want to talk about a life that counts. I don't know about you, but I want my life to count. I, I want it to, to mean something in the course of history. I want to mean it to mean something um, just, just for God, for my family. I, I don't want... waste my life. And through the years, I've said that one of the worst ways to waste a life, one of the, the worst ways to die is one day at a time, just to let days go by and waste them. And I want my life to count. I want it to count for my family. I want my life to count for this church. I want it to count in this community. I want it to count when it comes to impacting nations and generations and eternity for Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here uh, I don't, now, I don't just do the, you know, just raise your hand because the preacher's saying something. Seriously, how many people have a firm conviction in your heart that, man, no matter what else happens, I want my life to mean something. I want it to count. Hey, Amen. yeah, that's encouraging, man, to see people that say, I really want my life to count. You know, a, a couple of services, a couple of different times in, in services over the last few weeks, and I think Pastor Chris quoted it one time, and I, I believe that um, uh, the gentleman that was here that was with Revive Texas, Wade, uh, Brother Wade, I think he quoted this, this, um, this little saying that's uh, from a guy named C.T. Studd. It says, some want to live with this in, in the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop. Within a yard of hell, Uh, that—that's when your life counts, doesn't it? When you're reaching out and touching other people for Jesus. And this uh, CT stud, he really did. He—he's an inspiration to me when I think about people who said, "I'm going to have my life count. I want it to count. I want it to mean something." uh, He—he's the one that uh, wrote the poem. Maybe you've heard the poem that says, "Only one life will soon be passed." only what's done for Christ will last. And he has this great poem. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to uh, to go and to read it. So um, this C.T. Studd, or Charles Thomas Studd, he was born in England in 1960. He was um, the son of a, of a wealthy Englishman. This guy had gone to India and was doing uh, exports and agricultural type of things, made a Fortune made a fortune, and came back to England to just live the good life. And uh, so, CT, uh, this Charles here, was um, given the opportunity to live a very uh, uh, a life of life of, of opulence. Really, he was able to experience everything that he wanted to experience. He grew up playing cricket. At uh, sixteen, he was famous throughout uh, Great Britain for his cricket abilities. At nineteen, he was the captain of the Trinity College team. and But at the age of 18, he came to know the Lord. And the way he describes this, he says, for the next six years, really, I lived in a backslidden condition. My heart wasn't passionate for God. I didn't really... Um, and grow in my faith. And uh, I think, unfortunately, that represents too many people. Then he said, but something happened when he was 24 and he, he, he uh, was involved in a service where he, he really gave his life fully to the Lord. And he, he realized that the main thing, the focus, center focus of his life was Jesus Christ. And so very quickly, he became a missionary, and he went to uh, China. The thing that was burning in his heart was, I want my life to count. And so he heard about the needs. He heard about lost people in China, and he says, I'm going to go to China. I'm going to be a missionary. And, um, and even as he was getting ready to go to China, the temptations the temptations tried to, to slow him down. He received an amazing an inheritance, over 25,000 uh, pounds, some hyster- historians say. So a lot of money uh, back you think about back in the 1800s. And, and um, one of the things to be sure, to be sure that he kept his focus on Christ was he gave that entire inheritance away. He gave it away to other ministries and to missionaries and to help other people accomplish the work of the kingdom of God. He went on to serve into China. He came back from China, spent the years instead of getting into the uh, just depending on the family fortune. He went around to colleges and he told his testimony of what God was doing and what was taking place in his life. And revivals, early revivals in the 1900s broke out and and student movements started. He said, wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, my life is going to count. After doing that for a few years, he um, then went to India and served in a, in a pastoral and, and missionary role. He came back once again and, and said, I'm still not done. There's still strength in me. There's something I want to do. And so he then heard about the need in South Africa of people who did not know Jesus. And so he left. He left and he poured his heart out to reach thousands of people for Jesus Christ in South Africa and died on the mission field. He said, I want my life to count. I love some of the statements that he makes. He says things like this. He says, the romance of a missionary is often made up of monotony and drudgery. There's often no glamour in it. It doesn't stir a man's spirit or blood. So don't come out to be a missionary as an experiment. It's useless and dangerous. Only come if you feel you would rather die than not come. Don't come if you want to make a great name or you want to live a long life. Come If you feel there's no greater honor after living for Christ than to die for him. What a passion for Jesus. A passion for Jesus. A passion for souls. He says, how could I spend the best years of my life living for the honors of this world when thousands of souls are perishing every day? If Jesus Christ, here's what, he, what uh, CT says. He says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Can I ask you today, because I've been facing this, I've been dealing with this all uh, the last couple of weeks as I've been in preparation for this message, and I've asked myself, is there any sacrifice that's too great to give for Jesus Christ who's given everything for us? Are we that type of people today? In the scripture, he goes on and says, um, "It's obvious that he was a fanatic for Christ, and he thought that everybody should be." So he said, "God's real people have always been called fanatics." Can that be said of us? Would your would your best friend, would your wife, would your spouse, would your husband, would your would your um, would your friends describe you as a fanatic for Jesus? I mean, this is maybe that doesn't that's this has been stirring in me. It's been stirring. In me, and um, I just—I uh, just think it's time. I think it's time. I'm so glad, folks. Listen, I'm so glad that we're passionate and that we're about things of, of, of our world. And lately we know that it's all been about uh, politics and patriotism. And, and, and I'm all for it. Go give it your best wherever you're at. Whatever side you stand on, go for it. Don't be lukewarm. Go for it. But can I tell you this? I think it's time that we had some big truck rallies uh, driving around the loop with big Jesus signs on them. You know? How many times have we had to have hold up traffic and people- People pull over so people could say, yeah, I put Jesus first. I vote Jesus first. I like how he um, he said this. He said, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without, without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the battlefield. <laughs> Don't you want that to be your testimony? I want it to be my testimony. I want it to be the testimony of this church that, that, man, that when Jesus comes, man, that we're missed, right? That people know that something is missed, is absent. A life that counts. You know, one of the marks of a life that counts is that they value Jesus Christ above everything and anything this world has to offer. And that's what Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 3. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 8. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Anybody want to draw closer to Christ? Anybody want to be more like Jesus Christ today? Anybody want their life to be more centered and focused in Jesus today? I certainly do. Let's take a look at this list of the things that Paul was saying here as um, he, he just in those, you know, those scriptures. First of all, in verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. God's people need to be people of joy. Amen? Pastor Chris reminded us of that last week. The, the whole book, of, the theme of the book of Philippians is it's called, it's called the letter of joy. It's the New Testament letter of joy to God's people. It's a joy. How, how about it? In the worst of circumstances and situations, are we still people who can rejoice? Are we still people who can give thanks? Anybody, uh, anybody looking forward to Thanksgiving? I'm just telling you, man, so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. And so we want to be those people who are always giving thanks. We want to be people who are always rejoicing. Listen, even though he was in jail, what what Pastor Chris say? He wasn't a prisoner of jail. He was a prisoner of joy, right? We want to be those people that our hearts are always captured by joy. And so he says, because of this joy, it's not troublesome to write to you. And what he's saying is it's not troublesome for re- me to repeat to you things I've already told you. It's safe for you to be, put into rem- to be put in remembrance. Anybody here ever need to be reminded of anything? Can I ask a question just, just for my own so I can feel better? Does anybody ever, husbands, men, help me out here, okay? Does anybody ever get sent to the grocery store to get something? And you get to the grocery store and you thank God for your cell phone because you have to call home and say, now what was that? right? How many men nowadays get sent to the store with a picture sent to them on their cell phone? Get the, okay. <laughs> right. Remembrance. Put in remembrance. It, uh, we all need to be reminded of things, don't we? He goes on in verse two. He says, look out for the dogs. When he's talking about dogs, he's not just talking about the, a regular dog. He's talking about the, the dogs, the Judaizers. You see, when Paul was going from church to church and encouraging people in Jesus Christ, there were Jewish um, there were Jewish people that were coming behind and said, "Okay, if you want to have Jesus, that's great, but you still need to fulfill the law. You still need to do other things. You need to do all the other things that Jewish people have done." And Paul's saying, "Hey, these are these are dogs. These are Judaizers. They're evildoers. These are people that says that would say you've got to be circumcised." He said, well, "Just let them go, mutilate themselves. This, you know, just." Um, He goes to some extremes there. And then in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision. It's not about a physical circumcision. It's about a circumcision of heart so that we become people who worship God. We worship by the Spirit of God. Aren't you thankful to be people who get the opportunity to worship? So we rejoice. We worship God. We glory in Jesus Christ. And listen to this. We put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh or the works of the flesh or the the things, the circumcision or whatever else has been done. We put no confidence in the flesh. We say that we are people of the spirit and we walk and we live in the spirit. Even if we have reason, even if you... I think that you have a reason to be able to put your um, to be able to put confidence in the flesh. Maybe there's been some type of of prosperity that's come into your life, or there's been some type of a of a position, or you've you've been um, exalted to some special place in life. Can I tell you? No matter how high of an office, no matter how high of a degree, no matter how much acclaim and and adulation and applause and fame you get in this earth, we put no confidence in our flesh. We put our confidence in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul says, even though I have reason for the confidence in the flesh also, I, I, I like this verse. You know what Paul's doing right here in this verse, in chapter, in verse 4? He's kind of trash talking, okay? I, I don't, have you ever seen Paul as kind of a trash talker? And what he's, what he's saying is, he's saying, if anyone else thinks he has reason for the flesh, bring it on. Come on, come tell me your story. Come on, let's hash it out. You say what you've done. I'll say what I've done. And then Paul says, I'm just going to drop the mic on you. You know, that's what he says. He says, I've got it covered. Nobody has more reason to put their trust in the flesh than I do. Everything that I've received from my past, everything that I've achieved in my life, says that I should be able to put my confidence in the flesh, but, but I'm not going to do it. And so he begins to list the things that he puts his confidence, why he can put his confidence in the flesh. And I just want to go through this area. I'm going to go through seven areas of confidence in the flesh. And as we do this this morning, let me ask you to kind of do a checklist and see if there's any area where you might be putting confidence in your flesh instead of putting confidence in Jesus Christ. He he begins by this, and he says, Circumcised on the eighth day. He says I was circumcised. He goes, I've observed from before I was able to make my own choices. I received the benefit of having my family go through, fulfill the rituals, fulfill the obligations of the law. They circumcised me on the eighth day. I've observed all the customs. I've observed all of the things. Um, I was maybe, maybe in our day it was, I was dedicated as a child. You know, my parents stood before a a church and dedicated me as a baby. Maybe I was was baptized. I've checked all the boxes all of my life. I've gone to Sunday school. I've done all the good things so I can put confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on and he says, of the people of Israel, not only have I checked all the boxes, not only have I observed all the customs and rituals, I've also got the family heritage. You see, I'm of God's special people. I I'm part of the of the family of the people of Israel and, and and here in our world we'd say well of course I'm Christian I was born in East Texas right it's the same it's got to mean the same thing doesn't it right cuz uh, everybody knows that me and the good lord got an understanding right maybe your dad or your grandpa was a preacher maybe you've grown up all your life knowing about the things of 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 church and the things of Christianity and he says I could put my confidence in my family heritage how many people here have two or three generations, four or five generations of, of Christian, a heritage of Christianity in their families. That's a beautiful, wonderful, incredible, amazing thing. But you know what? That's not what we put our confidence in, is it? Amen? He goes on. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, The tribe of Benjamin out of the 12 tribes of Israel was a very special tribe. It had an elite status to it. It had social status. And so he says, I'm not just one of the people of Israel. I'm from the most special tribe. I'm I'm from the tribe where the, the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. Anybody remember the first king of Israel's name? Saul, right? What's Paul's name before he comes to Christ? It's Saul, right? He says, look at me, I'm named after the king, uh, the first king and in, in, in the tribe of Benjamin. It's, they were the ones that owned the property where, where the temple is built and all kinds of special things from the tribe of Benjamin. So there was this social status, there was this... A political affiliation, and 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 I would say to us, how many times is it is it easy for us to say, well, my social status or or my political um, my political acclamation, then I can put my confidence in that, that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm making an impact, my life counts because of some political or social activity or or stance that I take, and can I tell you to hear today that Paul says none of those things is going to benefit us. None of those things. He goes on, a Hebrew of Hebrews, ethnicity. He said, Look, I'm a true Hebrew. And listen, it's a great thing to be proud of your race. That's a wonderful thing. Whatever your race is, it really, white, green, pink, purple, black, blue, you know, whatever. Can I tell you that's fine, but can I tell you that it's not where we put our total confidence, where it's not where we put our first place of confidence. He says, so I, put my co- I could put my confidence in my ethnicity. He says, a Pharisee, religious devotion, the knowledge of the word. Now, I think Pharisees in our day probably get a little bit of a bad rap. We think that they were just all extremists and legalists and bad people and all that. But can I tell you, they really did love the word of God. They gave themselves to the word of God. Um, when Paul was on trial before uh, King Agrippa in Acts 26, it says this: it "says From my manner of life, from my youth being spent from um, from the beginning among my own nation in Israel, it's known by all the Jews. Anybody who's really a Jew, anybody who knew anything about about what was going on in the in the Jewish religious world, said they knew me. He said they have known for a long time. If they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion." I have lived as a Pharisee. He, he said, that's really something that in, in that time and in that day to be very proud of. He says, I, 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 I had the opportunity to study, to get degrees, to get education. I had the opportunity to, uh, to really pursue knowing the law, knowing the word of God. And, and, uh, and he says, really, I think what he's saying is, is in some ways I was a know-it-all. I was a know-it-all. I think uh, Paul would have been one of those people that that probably demonstrated a religious spirit. You see, but what Paul tells us is you can know the word without knowing Jesus. Amen? Anybody know that demons know the word, right? They just don't know the power behind the word, and that's Jesus. Amen? He says, and he goes on, he says, zeal, zeal. He says, I was so zealous, I was so busy with religious activity, I was so passionate about doing things, and folks, there's a lot of people today that they're passionate, and they think because they're passionate about something, that that makes them right. How many people know that you can be passionate and be passionately wrong about something? Amen? There's a lot of that going around. He says, I was so passionate, as a matter of fact, that I became a persecutor of the church. In Acts nine verse one, Paul it says this: "It says, but Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was so zealous that he went to the high priest and he asked them for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem to see them persecuted for believing in Jesus." He said, "I was zealous." He was the one, we know that, this, uh, that history tells us, he was the one that, that stood and held the garments while Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was martyred, was stoned to death. He was zealous. He had all of this, um, all of this background, all of this history, but he missed Jesus Christ. And then he says, he says I was um, completely legalistic. He said, I kept all the rules. I, I, I did, I obeyed everything. Nobody could find anything, anything wrong with me. As a matter of fact, he said, I was blameless. I was moral. I was upright. I, um, I, I did all the right things. He said, I'm, I'm like, the, like the rich young ruler. I've kept all the rules from all of my life. And, and I wonder how many of us think, well, all I've got to do is just live a good life. Or live a moral life. And if, if I'm just a good person, if I'm just a moral person, if I if I don't break the rules, if I don't hurt anybody else, then, then everything's okay and everything's good with me. He says, I can trust in, I was trusting in my own ability and my own strength. Now, now, as you're looking through this list, folks, does anybody notice something in common with this list? If you think about it, they're all good things. They're all good things. You see it wasn't the the bad things that was keeping Paul from Jesus it was the good things it was the fact that he was putting his confidence in good things seriously it's good to love your family I mean, it's good to, to appreciate your family. It's good to love your, your, your wife and your children and your parents. And, and I love my wife and I love my, my children. I love my parents and my grandkids. You know, I love those grandkids. I really do. And special things that have been taking place in their lives. But I want to be able to say that compared, that compared to how much I love Jesus, they pale in comparison. It's great. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to love your family. It's a good thing to have a good name. The Bible encourages us to have a good name, to, to, to be, have a good reputation to, to, for people to, to look at you and to think good things about you. But if we put our confidence in it, is it what you're putting your confidence in? It's good to know the Bible it's good to come to groups. It's good to participate in our online groups. It's good to, to study the Word. It's good to memorize the Word, to love the Word. But can I tell you that you can put your confidence in the knowledge of the Word and you can miss Jesus Christ? I still remember in high school when I first um, first came to the Lord, that I took a class. Um, because I wanted to learn the Bible. I didn't know anything about the Bible, so I took a class called The Bible as Literature. And come to find out, man, this this teacher, this uh, teacher in high school, he knew the Word. It was amazing to me. He taught things that I'd never heard, taught stories about Jesus, taught stories in the Old Testament, brought up people that, man, I had Goliath and David and people I'd never heard of. It was amazing. And what was even more amazing was to come to find out at the end of the class, that he knew the word, but he did not know Jesus. How, how sad, how sad would that be? So it, it's good to be active in church. It's good to join us online. It's, uh, it's good to be here in person, amen? It's good to serve, it's good to be a greeter or an usher, to be a, a, to serve in the children's ministry. It's good. It's good. Amen. To be a, it's good to be a tech person. Come on, tech team. Right? It's good to serve in the band, to serve in the worship team. It's good to serve. It's good to give. It's good to tithe. These are all good things are all good things. It's good to live morally, to be responsible. It's good to be proud of your race. It's good to be politically active. It's good to be zealous about the the goodness of God in the land of the living. Paul says you can do all of these good things and it mean absolutely nothing. He says it can be a wasted life, a big fat zero without Jesus Christ. And so listen how he sums it up. In Philippians 3, verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Compared to Christ, all those other things mean nothing. Everything that I'd received in my life and everything that I'd achieved in my life, no matter what, the Bible puts it like this, what if a man was to gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. What has he gained? It profits him nothing. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying what really matters is Christ. Christ is greater than all of these things. And folks, I'm challenging each of us today. I challenge myself. Is this true of our lives? Is Jesus the number one thing of our life? Is Jesus more important than anything else? Man, I mean, when we, bully, it's, Yvette and I have had that discussion this week, and I, 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 I've told her, I said, man, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for who you are. But, you know, the truth is, and, we, and it's, it sounds very romantic to say, oh, I couldn't live without you, and, you know. Right. But the truth is, and she and I were talking about this, that with Jesus Christ, all things is possible. All things are possible. Jesus is the center of my life, and it's because of Jesus that we can love other people, that we can accomplish anything that, that we really have something to be zealous for. Paul goes on, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Jesus Christ, my Lord. In the Greek, it's kurios. It means my master. And I know that this doesn't play real well in our contemporary world That 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 people don't want to hear about, they they won't hear about what Jesus does for me and how Jesus serves me and how Jesus makes me feel good and Jesus does what I need. But can I tell you that when we really put Christ at the center of our lives, that he won't only be our Savior, he will be our Lord. He'll be the one that says that no matter what I surrender, no matter what I give up, no matter what I yield, no matter what I lay down, no matter what I lose in my life, if I've got Christ, then I have gained everything. I've gained everything. And I pray, I pray that this will be a reality in my life and in your life and in the life of this church. Folks, I believe that this is essential. If we're going to be people who are part of bringing in the last day's harvest and ushering the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lord, to receive his people. we got to have Jesus as the center, as the focus of our life. I, I know it's hard, guys. I know, okay, but, but can I tell you, if we, if we really love our kids, moms, dads, if we really love our kids, you know what we'll do? We'll put Jesus first in our life so they can see what it's like to have him first in their lives. You know what Paul says? He says this. He said, for this sake, for his sake, for Jesus Christ the Lord, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. You know what the, the real word there, to, there is in the in the Greek? It's it's the word uh, dung. I count it as dung. It, it, it's nothing. It's It's just waste. He said, everything pales in comparison to Jesus. Paul says, what I treasured, I now consider trash compared to knowing Jesus. Is that how we really feel? I I mean, I've heard people stand up and give testimonies about, oh, I was this wonderful, amazing thing, and I did this, or I was this terrible person, I did this, and I had all this, and, and then I came to the Lord, and I gave it all up. And that's where their testimony stops. Can I tell you, don't let your testimony stop there, okay? Just just take it on to to the completion and say, but I gained everything. I gained more than I ever gave up. I gained more than I could have ever had. I gained more more now and in eternity than I would ever deserve. He says Jesus is the most important thing. He's worth throwing everything else out the door. He's the only place that we're really going to get life. He's the only place that we're really going to find meaning and purpose and joy and peace and love in our lives. And that's what the world is looking for. That's what the world is looking for. I don't know who said this, um, so I'd like to claim it as my own, but I love this statement. Live your life for something that's worth losing everything for. Live your life for something that's worth losing everything for. And can I tell you that to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my understanding, the only thing in the world that meets <laughs> that, that checks the box on the box on that is Jesus. Is Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus put it like this. He said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Only he who finds, he said, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Is there anybody who wants to find true life today? True life today, then it comes in pouring ourselves out For Jesus. Matthew 13, 44. I love the scripture. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. And then in his, I circle this word, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Would you give up everything? Would you sell everything? Would you turn your back on everything? Would you surrender everything that you could have Christ? Do you really believe that in Christ we get everything we need for joy? Listen, to to gain Christ, it's not sorrowful, it's not sad, it's not grievous. It's joyful to have Jesus as the center of our life. It's, it's joy unspeakable and, and full of glory to know that Jesus rules and reigns over our lives and he, he can, as Jason said earlier, he can do anything that we need. It is joy. It is joy. It is joy. Is Jesus the center of your life today? So what I want you to know, I want you to know that giving up everything to gain Christ is really giving up nothing to get everything. What I want you to feel, I really do want you to feel joyful, to feel exhilaration as you grow closer and closer and gain more and more of the knowledge and the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as, as, as Master, as Comforter, as, as Miracle Worker in our life want us to grow in that joy and what do I want you to do what do I want you to do first of all I want you to give yourself completely to Jesus and listen if you've never accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life today's a great day to do it today's a great day to do it let that well of joy begin to live in you and can I say this to all my brothers and sisters we've all been there at different times times where we've kind of been at a low ebb, times when we've, we haven't really completely, we're not just backslidden, but, but we're distracted. We're distract- Has anybody ever been distracted from Jesus being the center of your life? We've all done it. We get, we get distracted by big things and small things. We, we get distracted, but the wonderful thing is that God in His love he just gently touches our cheek and draws our attention back to him. If you ever had to take your child or your grandchild and say, look at me. And even, you look at my eyes. And, you know. <laughs> and Jesus says, just look at me. And he gives us the privilege of looking into his eyes and sensing and experiencing fresh and anew how very much he loves us. And that he really has given up everything for us. So I think we can give up anything for him, don't you? Don't you? So give yourself to the Lord and then, and then, I want you to give your most generous, sacrificial offering that you've ever given to bless others. If you haven't already written your check or gone online and given, or if you have, then maybe I pray that the Lord would stir your heart to give even even more. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this. Paul here, again, writing to the church at Corinth. He said, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. You know, he's saying these people were in dire, terrible, difficult situations. But in the midst of those situations, the joy of the Lord welled up in them and they wanted to give. They wanted to give because so much had been given to them. I'm serious. I pray that today, Just as the scripture goes on and reads, it says, for they gave according to their means. He said this, they gave themselves, verse five, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God.